Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you this morning, it's a, again with uh, joy that we come together with your people and share in the worship through the singing of songs, through the study of your word, uh, through the various ministries at work this morning uh, in our greenhouse, in the youth. Uh, we just we thank you for what you're doing, Lord, in each of our lives. We thank you that your word is powerful and it can guide and direct our lives and encourage us in every way. Lord, guide us through this study. Help us to see what's important to you and that we might make it important to us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, chapter 11 has so many good things of the book of Acts and that's why we've taken a couple of weeks to go through it. But... Uh, remember last week we talked about Antioch, the city of Antioch, and we talked about the church that was established in Antioch that became the missionary sending church of the early, uh, of the early church, of the early days of the church. Interestingly, as we saw last week, it was one of, mo one of the most immoral cities of the day, and yet it was the site of one of the most dynamic churches of the early church era. It was an immoral time, an immoral city, and yet the church in that city that grew up, that we're reading about in Acts chapter 11, uh, was a dynamic church and had a dynamic ministry that literally changed the world of its day. The new believers in Antioch, uh, we finished up at verse 23 actually last week, the new believers in Antioch were encouraged to remain faithful to the Lord, loyal to the Lord, and they were urged to make provision for their spiritual growth. Now, we didn't get to really look at that part, the provision for spiritual growth, so that's where we're going to uh, start this morning. But four things that I want you to particularly notice as we go through this passage. Number one, we must make spiritual growth a priority. We must have a plan for spiritual growth in our lives. We're going to see that uh, as we look at verse 23. We need a plan for spiritual growth in our lives. Secondly, we need to yield control of our lives to the Holy Spirit. We'll see that in verse 24. Third thing I want us to see here is that we need to conform our lives to the Word of God, to renew our minds through the teaching of the Word of God. And we see that in verses 25 and 26. And then finally, the fourth thing we're going to see is that we need to put our money where our mouth is, verses 27 to 30. That is, remember uh, believers who are in need. That's what our study is this morning. Well, verse 22 gives us the context. News of this, and the this refers to the, the fantastic ministry that was going on at Antioch, uh, reaching out particularly to Gentiles and bringing them into the church, and the church was growing by leaps and bounds. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. That's where we finished last week. He encouraged them in two ways, that they might be faithful to the Lord, that they might be true to the Lord, that they might be loyal to the Lord. They had been 
given at salvation as you and I have been given at salvation. All we need for, for life and, and uh, spirituality and ministry. 2 Peter chapter 1 talks about that. We have all we need for spiritual life and spiritual growth. And they were encouraged by Barnabas to remain faithful to the Lord, to remain loyal to the Lord. The second thing he encouraged them to do is to do that with all their hearts. And literally, that could be translated to do that with purpose of heart. With purpose of heart. One of the commentators paraphrased it this way. They should remain faithful to the Lord, loyal to the Lord, and do it according to a set plan. That's really the idea behind the words, do it with all your heart, or do it with purpose of heart. They should do it according to a set plan. Why is that? Well, as one writer said, what things of this earth tend to capture your heart and in so doing control your thoughts, words, and behavior, there is a constant struggle for the rulership of our hearts. There's a constant struggle for the rulership of our hearts. And for that reason, I think Barnabas is encouraging them that they need some kind of a plan. They need some kind of a, a, a plan for spiritual growth in their lives. Some kind of a plan to move forward. Some kind of a plan so they don't get stuck and go backward in the spiritual life. That they don't turn away in the spiritual life. We've all known people who've gone back, haven't we? We've all known people who have proclaimed Christ and then turned away. What Barnabas is trying to encourage this, these believers at Antioch is that they need some kind of a set plan. They need some kind of a plan for spiritual growth in their lives because, as the writer said, there's a constant struggle for the rulership of our hearts. The Bible talks about the fact that we have enemies of our spiritual life. The world is an enemy of our spiritual life and the ideas of the world and the goals and purposes of the world is an enemy to our spiritual life. The world, the flesh, that is this sin nature within us that tends toward selfishness, tends toward desiring sin. We have that enemy within us. The world, the flesh, and what's the third? Who knows? The third enemy is the Satan, the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil are all enemies of our spiritual lives, all enemies of our growth, all enemies of our remaining true and faithful and loyal to the Lord. To counter that, you and I need a plan. We need a plan for spiritual growth. And so uh, I want to take just a few moments this morning to talk about uh, a plan for spiritual growth. There is an article, it's, it's actually a series of uh, devotional thoughts uh, done by Selwyn Hughes, and uh, he calls them his 12 principles for maintaining spiritual freshness. 12 principles for maintaining spiritual freshness. Now, the reason for that, as we are observing in Acts chapter 11, 
the reason that he mentions is that you and I need freshness in our spiritual life. We need vitality in our spiritual life. We need spontaneity in our spiritual life. But the reality for too many believers is that they are stale and they are dead and spirituality becomes just a killing routine without a sense of God's presence. And so we need freshness and vitality. Now he cautions that spiritual vitality or freshness in our spiritual life doesn't mean exemptions from trials and difficulties. We will still have trials and difficulties. But we will have that freshness, that vitality, that spontaneity in our Christian life. Well, he mentions 12 principles. I only have time and only want to, for the purposes of our study this morning, mention the first principle because it pertains to what Luke is telling us in Acts chapter 11 and verse 23. The first principle and the principle upon which all the other principles stand is this. We must establish a daily time with God in order to replenish our spiritual resources. We must plan a daily or establish a daily time with God in order to replenish our spiritual batteries. We need that time with the Lord. Now, he suggests that that time with the Lord should include several things. It should include reading the Word of God. It should include reading the Word of God. It should include meditating on the Word of God. It should include exposure to God in prayer. It should include passing on to others what we have discovered. As you discover in your daily walk with the Lord and your daily uh, uh, time with Him, as you discover what He is teaching, then we pass that on to others. He suggests that if there's time, that we include perhaps a devotional book or sing praise songs. Now, it all depends on what time you have. Now, you may not have an hour you can spend in that. You probably don't, and that's okay. But do you have 15 minutes? Obviously, more is better. But do you have 15 minutes? We have a tract out on the welcome desk desk that talks about seven minutes with God and talks about how you can take seven minutes with God and include Bible reading and prayer in that seven minutes. Now again, is that enough? I I don't think it is. But if it's all you got, it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. If we're going to remain faithful to the Lord, loyal to the Lord, going forward, moving forward in our Christian lives, we have got to do it with all our hearts. We have got to do with purpose of heart. We have got to do it literally according to a set plan, as the writer said. So what should we do? We start out by deciding on how much time do we have. We start with that. Then, secondly, vary our routine. Sometimes you may want to kneel to pray. Sometimes you may want to walk around outside to pray. Sometimes 
Uh, you may want to stand to pray. There's no one posture for prayer. Standing, sitting, kneeling, we see all of those in the Scripture. It should include, obviously, reading your Bible, learning to listen to God. Learning to listen to God. What is it that He is speaking to you about from this passage? What is it that the passage is trying to communicate to us? What was the intent of the writer, the author, such as Luke in the book of Acts? The next step then is once we learn to listen, then we speak to God about what He's speaking to us, about that which He is speaking to us in the Scripture. We pray it back to God. We pray it back to God. A lot of times, once we've read the Bible, we immediately go to our prayer list, right? Well, what kind of communication is when, when you are communicating with somebody and then you just automatically go on to a whole different topic? God speaks to us from the Scripture. We need to learn to listen. And then we need to speak to Him about that which He is speaking to us about. And then we can talk about our prayer requests. Then we can take our prayer list to God. And finally, it should include thanking God for the answer. Because He will always answer, but we're not always satisfied with the answer, right? He will always answer, but we're not always satisfied with the answer. Sometimes His answer to our request will be yes. Sometimes His answer to our request will be no. And sometimes His answer to our request will be to wait. To wait. Well, Paul tells them they need a set plan. Uh, not Paul, but uh, Barnabas tells them they need a set plan in verse 23, that they might remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. So the first thing we need is to make spiritual growth a priority. We need a plan for spiritual growth in our lives. The second thing we want to see here comes in the description of the character of Barnabas. Look at verse 24. Verse 24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Three things were told about Barnabas. He was a good man. Uh, as one writer said, literally that means he was void of uh, any censuring spirit. He was a good man, as another writer said, easygoing, cheerful, open-hearted, a gracious individual. Barnabas was a good man. He was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. Now, what does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? Uh, because it's an important question for us to be asking, because we are told, in fact, not just told, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. So if Barnabas is a man who is filled with the Spirit, he's a good example for you and a good example for me of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of faith. One writer said about this, the facts were opposed to the natural, natural prejudices, 
prejudices of a Jew like Barnabas, but he rose above, above such racial narrowness. Besides, Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit, like Peter, and of faith, and so willing to follow the leading of the Lord's Spirit, of God's Spirit, and take some risks. Barnabas, being a Jewish believer, is placed into a situation where the majority of the church at Antioch were Gentile believers, and the church has just opened up to Gentiles in a big way, inviting them in without coming through Judaism, without coming through circumcision. And for a Jew like Barnabas, as earlier with Peter, this was jarring to their senses. Well, what is it that enabled Barnabas to minister so effectively in this kind of a situation? What enabled Barnabas to minister so effectively in this kind of situation? Now, there were no doubt many reasons for that, but one of the most important ones is that he was filled with the Spirit of God. So therefore, he could be open to change. He could be open to something different. He could be open to understanding that God is taking a new tact. Not one that was unexpected, just one they didn't realize from the Old Testament. Because he was filled with the Spirit, he was listening to the Word of God. He was listening to the Spirit of God. And he was able to adjust to what God was doing. That's why it's so important that we not only need a plan for spiritual growth, but we also need to yield to the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You and I can be and should be filled with the Spirit. Now, there's, there's a whole lot. We could take several sermons to talk about the filling of the Spirit, but let me just uh, mention a couple of things, uh, do somewhat of a a thumbnail sketch of what the filling of the Spirit is. There's so much wrong thinking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. There's so much wrong thinking about what the evidence is of being filled with the Spirit is. So I want to deal with that this morning. First of all, when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, we're not talking about we have half filled with the Spirit, we're two-thirds filled with the Spirit, we're that's not what the word means at all. You know, some people think you can drive into the Holy Spirit gas station and say, fill me up. It doesn't work that way. It's not an amount. It's not an amount. The filling of Spirit is easily understood if we look at what the Scripture has to say, especially in the book of Ephesians and chapter 5. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles a few pages toward the back of your Bible, to Ephesians chapter 5. And starting at verse 15, so we can get the context, we read here, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now there it is. There's the ministry of the Spirit to us that we're talking about. 
Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then Paul goes on to talk about what are the evidences of a Spirit-filled person? What are the evidences of a Spirit-filled life? We'll talk about those in just a moment. First of all, let's break down this verse. Literally, in Greek, it's saying this, be continuously being filled with the Spirit. That is a literal translation of what Paul has written there. Be continually being filled with the Spirit. Several things that we should point out. Number one, be filled is a command. It's an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's not that if you're a super spiritual Christian, you should be filled with the Spirit. It is a command. It is an imperative for every believer that we are to be filled with the Spirit. It's a present tense. It's not just a command, but it's a present tense, which means that we are to be continuously or uh, repeatedly filled with the Spirit. We are to be continuously or repeatedly filled with the Spirit. Now I'll say more about that in just a moment. Be continuously being filled. It's a passive, which means that we yield to God. That's how we're filled with the Spirit. We yield to God. It's not something you and I actively do. It's something God does in us when we yield to Him. So it's an imperative. It's present tense, so it's repeated. It's passive. It's something that God does, so we must yield to God. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, Paul gives us a clue to that in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, where he says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit. The illustration or example he uses is that of being filled with wine. When a person is drunk, what's the characteristic of drunkenness, the alcohol? What does it do to a person? changes them. It changes them. A person under the control of alcohol, a person under the control of wine, for instance, their speech is affected by that wine. Their walk is affected, affected by that wine. Their perception is affected by that wine. What they see is affected by that wine. You see, the analogy that Paul's making is even as alcohol can control what a person thinks, what a person sees, what a person perceives, how a person walks, even as wine can do that, when we are under the control of the Spirit, it's the Spirit who controls our perception. The Spirit who helps us to see biblically. It's the Spirit who helps us to walk in holiness, walk in the way that God desires us to walk. That's the analogy. That's what the filling of the Spirit is. It is you and me yielding to the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's you and me yielding to the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it goes along with reading, studying, meditating on the Word of God because the Spirit then takes the Word of God you and I know, and when we yield to the Spirit, 
when we yield to God, the Spirit takes the Word that you and I know and applies it in every situation of our lives. That's what it means to be under the control of the Spirit. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's not some kind of parlor trick. It's simply you and I yielding control to the Spirit of God. Well, the prerequisites for being filled with the Spirit, there are several mentioned in the Scripture. We should talk about those. Number one, we must deal with sin. You see, the Spirit's not going to control us. The Holy Spirit's not going to control us if sin has control over us. The Holy Spirit's not going to control us, not going to direct us, if sin has control on us. And so the first thing we have to do, the first prerequisite of being filled with the Spirit is we must deal with sin in our lives. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 talks about that. Secondly, we must acknowledge God's right to our lives and consciously yield to the Spirit. We must acknowledge to God that He has the right to rule our lives. He has the right to dominate our lives. He has the right to control our lives. And we acknowledge that to Him. Acknowledge His right over our lives and we consciously yield to the Spirit. It may be something that we make part of our morning time with God where we acknowledge to God, you take control of my thoughts today. May your Spirit take control of my words today. May your Spirit take control of my walk today. So we must acknowledge God's right. The third thing, the third prerequisite for being filled with the Spirit is we must have a life of dependence allowing the Spirit to fully control us. A life of dependence allowing the Spirit to fully control us. Well, how will we know when we're filled with the Spirit? We'll know because it will show in our words, it will show in our worship, and it will show in our relationships. How do I know that? Why do I say that? Look again at Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul writes, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then the next thing he says are the evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It'll show in our words. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. It will show in our worship. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It will show in our thankfulness to God. It will show in our words. It will show in our worship. It will show in our thankfulness to God. And most importantly, and I don't have time to go over all of this. Uh, I would hope you might read Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. Most importantly, when we are filled with the Spirit, it will show in our relationships. It will show in our relationships. That's what Paul says here. After saying, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. The fourth participle here is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he talks about a number 
of relationships that you and I have that will flourish under the control of the Spirit. Now, please understand what I'm saying. Not that you won't have difficulties in those relationships or you won't have things to, that challenge you in those relationships, but you will have the Spirit of God within you and you will be yielding and He will help you live out the Word of God in your lives. And so, Paul says here, it will show if we're filled with the Spirit in our words, our worship, our relationships, our thankfulness. It will show in our marriages. It will show in our homes. It will show on our jobs. And you're going to have to read the rest of Ephesians 5 and some of 6 to understand that what Paul is saying is that when we are filled with the Spirit, the evidence will show in all of our relationships. Again, not meaning they will be trouble-free, but you and I will share the Word of God. You and I will live out the Word of God. Uh, I don't really have time to get into this, but let me just mention one thing. I often hear discussions about what does headship and submission mean? What does it mean that being a man is the head of his family? He's the guy who makes the rules, right? The guy who says, jump, and you say, how high, dear? Of course not. Of course not. That's, re that's ridiculous. But you know how the filling of the Spirit shows the control of the Spirit, the domination of the Spirit in our lives shows in a man's leadership of his family? It shows because he's the first to stop an argument. He's the first to say, let's not let this escalate. Let's not speak any more things we're going to be sorry about saying later and may never get over having said them or having heard them. That's what it means to be controlled by the Spirit. For instance, just to use one illustration, that's the true test of manhood. That's the true test of headship in a marriage. It's not who makes the rules. It's not who makes the decisions. As a gentleman that you and I who are married here, gentlemen, you and I are the first to take the leadership of our family and live out the word of God. Well, so much more we can say about all that. I just urge you to, to read the Word of God and read Ephesians 5 and the first part of chapter 6. <clears throat> we need a plan for spiritual growth. We need to yield to the control of the Holy Spirit. The next thing in verses 25 and 26 is that we need to conform our lives to the Word of God. Back in the book of Acts, <clears throat> we read this in verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The third thing we see, not only do we need a plan for spiritual growth, not only do we need to yield to the control of the Holy Spirit, 
but we need to conform our lives to the Word of God. We need to be exposed to the teaching of the Word of God. Uh, interestingly enough, when Barnabas sees that things are just exploding in the church at Antioch, and he is doing everything he can to teach the church at Antioch, doing everything he can to encourage these believers, teach these believers, he decides, I can't do it on my own. And at that point, he decides he should go find Saul, who, when way back, I think it's in chapter 8, we discovered that Saul, later to be called Paul, was sent to Tarsus to get him out of Jerusalem. Do you remember that? He was sent to Tarsus, his hometown, to get him out of Jerusalem. Well, he's been in Tarsus for about 10 or 11 years now. And Barnabas, faced with an impossible situation in Antioch, realizes that the best person that, who could teach that church, encourage that church, was the person Paul. Now, I think that took a lot on his part. And many writers have mentioned this such as this writer, at this point a remarkable thing takes place. <clears throat> Barnabas, who might easily have taken this opportunity to extend his own ministry and further his own importance, does a most selfless but strategic thing. He goes to Tarsus and brings back Saul to Antioch. Why share the glory, Barnabas? You're the teacher. Why share the glory? Another writer said Paul would be likely to eclipse him there by outshining him. Barnabas brought Saul to Antioch, though it might be the lessening of himself. It might be the lessening of himself. Well, Barnabas went to get Paul because he's a teacher and the church needed a teacher, and this church still today needs teachers, not preachers. The church still today needs teachers that will encourage and help believers. There's so much that we could talk about. There's an interesting passage in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, <clears throat> starting at verse 11. where the writer of Hebrews says to these believers, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, that's the way to get a crowd on your side, right? You're slow to learn. Uh, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You see, there's to be a progression in your life and in my life. There's to be a progression where you and I study the Word of God, sit under the teaching of those whom God has gifted to teach the Word of God. We grow in that Word. We change, and then we become the teacher. He goes on to say, anyone who lives... Uh, he goes on to say, um, 
You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. See, there is to be... um, growing in our lives, a maturity in our lives. As we, are, as we study the Word of God, read the Word of God, meditate on the Word of God, and especially as we are taught the Word of God, there's to be a growing in our lives. One writer said there, they were to remember that they needed to learn more of the Lord through His Word They were to seek and read and study because the scriptures reveal Christ. Another said this, the Christian life is radically contrary to the world and Jesus' call to to discipleship demands a radical transformation of your entire life. God's word plays an important part in this exciting transformation. When you make a serious commitment to read and study it, God's word will begin to render dynamic changes in your thoughts and attitudes. Oh, I have another great quote. I'll just put it in the recap next week. I don't have time to do it this morning. Uh, It's important that we know the word of God, that we are taught the word of God, that we read and study the word of God, and then we share the word of God with others around us. Now, I ran across a self-test for spiritual anemia due to deficient scripture diet. Would you like to quickly take the test? We'll do it real quickly. Um, I won't give you the rating scale. You can just answer the questions yes or no, okay? Uh, That's actually the way the test is designed. You write zero to nine, zero being not true, nine being very true, but I think the questions are probably more important than the score you get. Uh, If anybody wants a copy of the test, I'll be happy to give it to you. All right, here we go. Think about these in your life and my life. Number one, I feel a definite need in my life to study God's Word. I feel a definite need in my life to study God's Word. Number two, I have a specific time set aside each day for Bible study. Number three, I am currently following a set plan to read through the Bible. Number four, I have invested or plan to invest some money in Bible study aids such as a concordance, Bible dictionary, word study books, or just buy the Logos software. It's all in there. It's expensive, but it's all in there. Number five, I make notes of my study. I make notes of my study. Number six, I can cite specific changes in my life as a result of studying God's word and applying it to my life. Number seven, when I confront problems or questions, one of the first things I do is consult the word of God. Number eight, I internalize key scripture verses by meditation memorization, or application. Number nine, my prayer life is centered around God's word, realizing that though it 
Through it, God speaks personally to me. And number 10, Bible study is a constant source of strength and joy in my life. A spiritual anemia test. Well, we are to have a plan for spiritual growth in our lives. We are to yield to the control of the Holy Spirit. We are to conform our lives to the Word of God. And then finally, number four, in verses 27 to 30, we are to put our money where our mouth is. By that I mean this. During, uh, I'll just read verses 27 to 30. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Well, we see here mentioned the gift of prophecy and uh, a gift of prophecy was another of the temporary sign gifts. It was a foundational gift in the church, not given today. How do we know that? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 tells us that the apostles and the prophets were foundational gifts given to the church. And the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. How many foundations does a building have? Any engineers here? <laughs> one. We don't need more than one foundation, right? The apostles and prophets were given, were gifted to be the foundation of the church. And so it was a temporary gift, a foundational gift given to the church. It included declaring the word of God, that is, forthtelling, and in predicting future things, that is foretelling. So this gift of prophecy included foretelling and foretelling uh, at the time it was, was given in the early church. It became unnecessary after the completion of the New Testament canon. Merle Unger, the great scholar, said this, prophets like Agabus possessing a supernatural gift of prediction were common in the early church before a completed canon, as well as persons gifted with speaking in tongues and possessing other sign gifts. So these are gifts no longer given, but were given for the foundational period of the church. Well, what we see here is the disciples understanding the prophecy about a famine coming decided they would help the believers in Judea. Now, what's interesting about that is the church at Antioch is a primarily Gentile Christian church. But it was their way to show solidarity with the church in Jerusalem, which was still a primarily Jewish Christian church, and showed solidarity, the fact that both Jew and Gentile belong together on an equal basis in the church. And the way the folks in Antioch could show that was by putting their money where their mouth was and taking a collection to help the believers in Judea. 
So the desire of the church at Antioch was to help the saints in Judea, showing their solidarity between Jewish and Gentile Christians, and they illustrated a spiritual principle that was enunciated by Warren Wiersbe, who said this, if people have been a spiritual blessing to us, we should minister to them out of our material possessions. That's exactly what the church at Antioch did, was they said, we want to help the church of Jerusalem, thus showing that they were one. They were one. And yet showing it by sending some of their treasure. So four things we see here. We see that we need a plan for growth. Spiritual growth needs to be a priority for us. Number two, we need to yield control to the Holy Spirit, the control of our lives. Allow Him to dominate us. Allow Him to control us. Number three, we need to conform our lives to the Word of God, to renew our minds, Romans 12, 2 says, through the Word of God. And then finally, number four, we need to remember other believers in need. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you for this tremendous passage of Scripture. And we know that none of this is something that we do on our own, but we do, you do in us as we yield to you, yield your, to your Spirit. We pray that we would have a regular set plan for growing spiritually. We pray that we would regularly yield to your Spirit, Lord. We pray that we would conform our lives to your word and we pray that we would remember to help those in need. In Jesus' name, amen.